If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you ever find yourself wondering, what's different when it comes to my relationship with God? What seems to be off? you ever find yourself wondering, I know it's not what it should be, and I don't really know how to put my finger on it. This morning, I believe what we're going to be dealing with is a restoration of fellowship that each and every believer needs throughout their Christian walk. At times, you and I slip up. At times, we do exactly what this text says. We outright deny sin. We outright deny that we are sinning. And many times, Christians fall into a pattern of non-confession of sin. In their life. We're going to be looking at two things. Number one, walking in the light, verses 5 through 7. And number two, dealing with sin, verses 8 through 10. Let's start with number one, walking in the light, verses 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The first hindrance in our fellowship with God that's mentioned here in the book of 1 John is sin. It's clearly stated, God himself is light, and we abide by default in darkness. It is characteristic of John to present things both positively and negatively. God is light, and in him is no darkness. Whenever we talk about fellowship, we must begin with God. Because God gets to decide what that means. God gets to define the terms we don't. So when you and I want to come to God and define our relationship with him according to our terms... We are no longer under his paradigm. And when we're no longer under his paradigm, the fellowship that we would seek to have with him will be distorted. It may not even exist. If we're going to fellowship with God, we must do it on God's terms and not ours. We are the ones to make adjustments in our approach to him, not him. Most people today, if you were to ask most Christians in modern Christianity how they would want God to approach them, they have 
a certain list of things that they would desire in God. And unfortunately, when people come to church today, it's usually a list of things they would like from that church. Not what would God want in that church. Each and every one of us comes with certain expectations of what we would desire from God, rather than starting with, what do you expect from us, God? You see, God never changes. He's always stayed the same. We do. Which is one of the reasons why churches have changed so much over the years, have they not? What was considered normal in certain contexts is no longer normal today in the church. What was once intolerable is very tolerable today. Because people have redefined what fellowship with God means. We don't even have shame over the things that God says we should have shame over today. In fact, we celebrate them thinking God has given us a stamp of approval. When he clearly has not. You see, the tabernacle in the Old Testament perfectly illustrates this point. God prescribed the method in which he was to be approached and dwelt with. The book of Leviticus, and even, by the way, just as a, as a refresher, I would strongly recommend that you check out the study that Pastor Rizzo is doing in Hebrews. This really will give you a little more context on this. It reminds us in Hebrews 9 what it took for Christ to bring us near. There are specific things that it took for Christ to bring us near to the Father. Another reason that I would really want to recommend something when it comes to the Hebrew study is you're going to find specifics as to how the, the tabernacle connects to you and me today. It is not just a, a point only to those that were in the Old Testament. It has lasting implications even today. You see, John here is making the statement about the nature and essence of God. John is defining God. And the way that he defines God here in the text, he says, God is light. God is light. The primary idea here is holiness, set apart from all of us. The primary sense of this term refers to something that is separate. Holy when it is taken from the common and placed into the realm of the sacred. In fact, if you turn in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 31 through 33, here's what you'll find. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. God who called Israel his own is separating them from all other nations on this earth. And this same God has also separated us from the rest of the world as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, For it is the God... Listen, listen to this connection. Paul makes a very similar connection that John does. Who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God spoke and this world existed, he spoke and you and I saw him for who he is and saw Jesus as precious. 
Just as God created when he came to this world in separating darkness from light, he has done the same in our hearts to give us eyes to see the glory of Christ who set us apart as his own. God as light is distinctly, completely separate from us in every way possible. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says, Dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, the Son has given us access. Transcendence, something that exceeds normal limits, is synonymous with holiness. God is so wholly other that we cannot know Him apart from Him revealing Himself to us. There's another idea that may also be communicated here in 1 John. If you understand the context of this book, light is revelatory in nature. God, as light, reveals some things to us. He brings things to our attention. You ever find God do that with you? Something you didn't realize you were doing that he absolutely is against, he clearly reveals to you. The way to have fellowship with God is through the incarnate Son. By the way, this was an attack against the mysticism of the Gnostics because Jesus was both God and man who had perfect fellowship with his heavenly Father. He destroyed their paradigm. Jesus had perfect fellowship with his heavenly Father, being both God and man. We could never come to God directly. We must come through the Son. Through him we have access. You get to boldly approach because of Jesus, not because of something you offer. And by the way, light itself exposes sin, does it not? It dispels darkness. Notice the phrase here, in him is no darkness at all. Darkness is another major theme that we see. And by the way, it's not merely the absence of light. That idea tends to make it seem like darkness is just some neutral state that you and I are in. It goes beyond that. Diametrically opposed to the light. We ought to be bothered that people are without God in this world. Because they're in darkness without the light of the gospel. It should bother you, the family and friends and co-workers and people that you have around you that do not know Christ. They are walking in darkness. Darkness is a certain moral evil that is opposed to God, not just merely its opposite. It isn't like we're clean and God just makes us more clean. We are filthy, dirty, rotten to the core. And God restores us and cleans us up. The statement here is that there is no evil or darkness in God, not even a bit. We as believers can come to a place where we deny the sinfulness of our own sin. Do you know that? 
You don't even believe the sin you commit is really sin. Oh, you know it here, right? But experientially, when you're living it out, you're like, "Ah, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I mean, after all, everybody struggles, right? John speaks of a fulfillment that is uncertain yet likely as a possibility. We. This must refer to believers, by the way, when you're reading this text. Because John is including himself with the audience here. It can't mean anything else. John is not joining himself with false teachers and saying we. The we are the saints here that he's writing to. Walking in darkness. Wait a second. You mean to tell me believers can walk in darkness? This is the way we conduct our lives. Darkness is the sphere of evil. There is no reason to encourage unbelievers to walk in the light, if they don't have the light, by the way. That's why this is speaking to believers. There's no reason for John to write to unbelievers, hey, start walking in the light. They need Christ first. The statement is not written to frauds, but rather genuine believers who stumble and go back to living like the world in darkness. Every single one of us has this ability to go back to living in darkness. If the nation of Israel could constantly go back to what God despised, you and I have the same capacity. We are in the sphere of light in Christ legally. Does not mean that we practice what we are legally before God. But we can operate in the sphere of darkness. The old man is dead, but we have chosen to go back. Just like the book of Hebrews says, they're going back to their Judaism, you and I can go back to the realm of darkness. We can choose to live opposed to God. Look at what he says next. We lie. Wait a second. A believer can lie about the truth of God's word? Lying is not just an error, but a contesting of the truth. It is not just like you made a mistake. It's a clear revelation of Scripture that you just outright refuse to admit to yourself. It's synonymous with unbelief, which is mentioned later on. These people were not innocently mistaken. They know what's right and wrong and are still insistent to go about living in darkness. There are a lot of believers that live this way today. They know what God's word says. They refuse to do what God's word says. And they get chastened by the Lord. We do not practice the truth. This is something to be lived out, believer. 
This isn't just a mental exercise where you believe certain facts. You are to live these things out. Normally in John, truth is personified in Jesus Christ. We really don't value Jesus as much as we say we do when our lives are opposing him. Which is one of the reasons why Christians are such frauds to the world. Everybody wants to talk about how Jesus matters to them. It's time to practice what Jesus practiced and taught. Denying what Jesus clearly reveals to us is telling the world that we don't value him. And what's even more disheartening is many believers will try to join forces with the world to try to reach the world. It makes no sense. They sell out their faith, hoping to somehow bring them to the Lord. God doesn't need compromise from us when it comes to the world. So how do we correct this, believer? How do we correct what's stated here, where we lie to ourselves? We walk in the light. Conducting ourselves in the real life of holiness. Living according to the nature of God. No, you're not going to be perfect. None of us will be. But striving for it. Striving for holiness. We must be proactive in this. This isn't accidental. This doesn't just happen by chance. You don't stumble upon holiness. You have to earnestly seek for it. We should be as active walking in the light as we were when we were walking in darkness. Paul in his letters reminds us constantly to put off and put on. Right? Take something off, put this on. Effort is required. Just as you really wanted to give in to the flesh by doing whatever you could to gratify it, strive with all your might to push back and fight the good fight of faith. The standard pattern of behavior is established by God as He is in the light. What you and I consider walking in the light may very well be darkness if it goes against a standard. There are many churches that God outright rejects that believes they are walking with him. And they are the furthest thing from him. Doing things that make us happy when it conflicts with what is holy is not walking in the light. Which is one of the reasons why Christian marriages don't last today. Everybody assumes that happiness should substitute holiness. Doing whatever makes you happy will create a church of narcissistic, selfish, self-centered sinners. What's amazing here is the next phrase that he says here. We will have fellowship with one another or each other 
This refers to the reciprocal relationship we enjoy with God, by the way. Not other believers. Not here. And this whole context is not talking about our relationship with one another. He's talking about our relationship with God. Don't misunderstand the text to think I'm walking in the light. That means I have automatic fellowship with other saints based on this text. That's not what this part of the text is speaking to. Notice that walking in the light is equated with fellowship with God. What's unfortunate is a lot of us take a a phrase out of a verse, out of its context, and build a whole new theology point on it. Right in here is not the text to talk about our fellowship with one another. The text here is referring to fellowship with God. And when we're walking in in the light, we have fellowship with Him. He and us, we have good communication, communion with one another. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you read the verse for what it says, it's your fellowship with him. John will get to the fellowship we are to have with one another later on in the book. We will get to that. That's not here in this text. We should be concerned with our connection to God. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is how fellowship between the holy and the sinful is maintained, by the way. The nature of this statement is the provision that's been made, not that the sin has been committed. The purpose of the Old Testament sacrificial system was to establish the means of maintaining fellowship between God and His people. They were already His people. He chose them. Just as He has called us as well. Continual efficacy cleanses us from all sin. There will never be a sin committed that was not covered by the blood of Christ if you're His child. The discipline of the Father is always with a desire to restore fellowship, not to abandon. God does not look to abandon his children. When God disciplines his children, it is not to cast them away, but rather to restore fellowship with him. But Sometimes when a stubborn child decides to keep doing what they want, God has to take severe means. to the point of possibly calling a saint home early. Walking in the light always necessitates a need to deal with personal sin correctly, though. Number two, dealing with sin, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There are different types of denial of sin that are possibly mentioned here. 
The sin nature has been eradicated. Based on Romans 6, the old man is dead. This equates the old man with sin nature. The Gnostics' denial of this and dualistic thought, only their flesh sin, their true identity spiritual did not. That's what they would always teach. It's not really who I am. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have actually pulled this into theology today and they just don't realize it. When they sin before God, they don't really want to claim that they've sinned. that's 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 out of practice for me. That's not who I am. We are beyond the power of sin somehow. You ever find yourself claiming that you're free of sin at that moment? Like, I don't have anything repentive right now. I mean, perfect communion with God, confessed, turned in the areas that I should have. Before you know it, the sense of pride creeps in, doesn't it? The sense of, I'm doing pretty good. I'm walking pretty faithfully. There are times in our lives when we do not feel at all threatened by sin. Or at least we're not really aware of any, right? I think that's the truth. We tend to think that it means that we have somehow leveled up as a Christian, right? Like, I've improved in this area. You ever had victory over a certain sin that you really thought you had it nailed down then? Like, that's it, man. I'm never going to struggle with this again. It really only means we've not seen sin for what it really is in our lives. We tend to neglect seeing sin as God does in our own lives in the following ways. Whenever we are surprised by the bad things people do as if darkness won't live as darkness. Listen, believer, don't be shocked by where the world practices. Sin is sin and it destroys. And it will destroy other believers and you as well. It doesn't just destroy those that have never seen the light. It destroys those that have walked in the light. We neglect seeing God as, sin as God does in our lives when we attribute evil to something outside of ourselves. Blame shifting, right? You ever done this? My childhood, my predisposition, my economic status, right? There's somebody to blame, something to blame. It can't be me. This happens very commonly in the church today. We neglect to see sin as God does when moral categories in our churches are replaced by psychological categories. It's no longer good and evil, right? Can't use those terms. That'd be just too too harsh, too judgy. Good and evil. We're all good. Now we have what we call normal and sick, right? Right? That's normal and sick. 
Like we, we, can't, we can't use the word term, the term sin. Like that, that's just too strong of a word. Sin is now a mistake that can easily be fixed, right? What's amazing here is that John doesn't mention the word repentance. And I want to make a statement that's going to probably stun you for a moment, but I want you to hear it fully first. Sin itself does not necessarily break our fellowship with God. If we are walking in the light, we become aware of something and we need to take care of it. And so we confess that before God. It is unwillingness to forsake sin that has clearly been revealed to us by the Father that breaks fellowship. Else you find me a saint that's worked and lived their life perfectly before God. Find me one saint that's ever perfectly lived before God without any sin. We'd have to be perfectly in complete perfection in order to maintain fellowship. And I don't know anybody that's pulled that off except for Christ. So isn't that just sin will break fellowship with God? It's sin that you refuse to deal with that God clearly revealed to you. It is the believer who is walking in darkness and another believer comes along and says, hey, you know what? This is what God is against. And that believer refuses to deal with it. Or what's even more disheartening, yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's broken fellowship with God. Refusing to deal with what God clearly reveals to you and me. Unconfessed, secret, and unknown sin. At times, these could very well be the very things that break our fellowship with God. And the things that we think are not a breaking of our fellowship with God are typically because we have some emotional high we live off of sometimes. So many of us, have I don't know if you've ever fallen into this trap. I know since I was a child I fell into this trap. As long as I do something good after I've sinned, I'll feel better about myself. Some kind of like self-penance that I'm kind of conjuring up. My uncle equated it to the criminal that commits a crime only to give some of his thievery away. So he feels a little better about what he stole. You see, many are in a state of self-delusion when it comes to sin. And what we're talking about is people in the church. Just because the truth is not in us, it does not mean that we're unbelievers. Else there would be a gospel message included here by John to encourage them to go to trust Jesus. That's not what he's mentioning here. He includes himself in the we. And if that were the case, and this was to be something that they needed to repent of and become saved again and again, I mean, that's impossible. That literally is a mockery of the sacrifice of Christ. 
What it means here is that truth is not at home in our hearts. It's something that we are shunning at this time. It's when you and I are saying, I really believe this, but really I don't. Oh, I know this is a sin, but I really don't want to actually put that in practice in fighting it. The correction, how do we correct this? Very simple. Confession. Confession. To agree with God, see it the same way, pass the same judgment. It is not enough for you and I to look at sin the way God does and not confess it. And not openly admit he was right and see it for what he does. And when we see it as he does, our lives change. You see, many of us can claim we see sin the way God does, but in practice it doesn't line up because we don't truly see it the way he does. You ever, you ever been called out for hypocrisy in your life? Telling people one thing and you actually did the same thing? You ever do that as a parent? Tell your kids something? Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. And God uses that wonderful boy or girl to remind you, fact that you are a hypocrite and you've done the very thing that you told your children not to do confession is important believer sins plural you know what that tells you here in this text you have multiple sins you need to confess before God As we're walking in the light, we may not be conscious of certain sins in our lives. But as we continue to walk, the light continues to perform its revelatory function exposing sin. I promise you, believer, one thing. If, a, if every member of this church was in the word faithfully saying, God, what do you want from me? This church would be the most amazing church anybody could be a part of. It takes real diligence. It takes real work. And it's hard. Because all of us start many things in our lives, and then it kind of drops, doesn't it? We, we, we start with a fervent passion many times, and then some things cool off. We must confess sin that's shown to us by the Father. The Holy Spirit is sent to convict us by the Father. To show us, hey, you know what, you're wrong here. There are so many things in skirmishes that we have with others that would go away if we simply said, you know what, God, you're right. My pride's getting in the way right now. I'm thinking too highly of myself right now. It's about me, not you. Like, this is your church, God, it's not mine. These are your people. Repentance is only appropriate when we persist in a pattern of sin. Listen, believer, let me, let me, let me kind of give you a word of encouragement. I want to be as clear as I can on this. The first time you see that you've walked out of line with what God's word clearly says, confess it before God right away. Just confess it before God right away. 
What ends up happening is we have a lot of unconfessed sin, and before you know it, it's a pattern in our lives. And discipline becomes very difficult to handle. There's a difference between an apostate Christian and a sinning Christian. An apostate is not disciplined by God in the same way that a sinning Christian who deals with their sin is disciplined by God. Because not a single one of us in here has reached the status of perfection. God is faithful. Such an important word that John brings up here. God is true to his word. He's going to do what he promised. He's not going to lie to us. We lie to him and ourselves. He has promised to forgive us and cleanse us. And I'm going to pause for a moment and make a statement that I think for some of us really needs to be kind of an encouragement to where we're like, you know what, I tried this too much. And it's the wrong way to do this. We don't need to beg for God's forgiveness. You don't need to plead with him to forgive you. If it's under the blood of the Son, it's already forgiven. You need to confess and agree with him that it's sin in your life to restore that fellowship. You're still his child, but broken fellowship hurts. There's forgiveness offered with no strings attached. God is not asking you to pray for three hours for that one sin you committed. You don't need to make a pilgrimage to any city in the U.S. to make this happen. And it breaks my heart that so many in the world think that by adding something to this text, they're somehow finally restoring their fellowship with God. You can't open your wallet and say, God, I'm going to do this. Please forgive me. It's when you're forgiven and you realize you're forgiven and you do those things. It's when God has forgiven you that you love your brother the way you ought to. You don't love your brother so you get God's forgiveness. You don't do your kind deeds so you get God's forgiveness. I don't care what denomination you come from. That's a problem in every denomination. Because all of us feel like we somehow can do something that'll earn God's favor again. The only favor you've ever had was through Christ. And that will always stay that way. God always sees his children through his son. He does not look at us through our performance when it comes to justification. None of us can justify ourselves and never will be able to. That's settled once and for all on the cross. Here's what's amazing. God is just. He's not just faithful. He's just. This is absolutely necessary here in this text. You see, if John had not included something about justice, 
we ought to be terrified. Right? Well, God will be faithful, right? He'll be holy, so he's going to strike us down. No, he's just as well. And that justice was poured out on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We may think we've reached our limits of forgiveness, that God has had enough with us. He poured out all his wrath on his son. It is in our best interest as saints that God is just. If we are worried about God's justice, we will be filled with terror. And we should be. But because God's justice was enacted upon Jesus Christ, we are guaranteed of infinite forgiveness because of the infinite sacrifice of the Son. God forgives based on what Jesus did for you, not based on what you can do for yourself. And I think sometimes we sing songs like, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. We kind of get mixed up in our theology. Love the song. One of my favorites. But you can't pay God back. Grace is undeserved favor from God. Oh, you live in light of that. You do what you can to live that life that shows who he is and how much you value him. But you can't pay him back. How could you pay back a a sacrifice that's infinite? That's worth more than you and I could ever pay back. We're not in the same currency. By linking God's faithfulness and justice, God is bound by his justice to forgive us. God's full legal authority is pledged when we confess our sins. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Just remember, believer, and I want to make sure I put this in because I think sometimes people get confused on some of these things. Just because you're forgiven doesn't mean there aren't consequences. I want to make sure you know that. You can be forgiven but you're not free from consequences. Sometimes a lot of us are like, ah, I confessed it. Done. That's not how it works. There were consequences to David's sin. Serious consequences. Was David forgiven? Sure was. Consequences were very severe. God will chasten his own. The conscience, the human faculty that tells us if we've broken the moral law, accuses or excuses our sin. It is possible to have a seared conscience which makes for a very warped view of our relationship with God. Which is one of the reasons why it's really heartbreaking when Christians say they have a good walk with God and their conscience is seared. Their definitions are not God's definitions. Their preferences are their preferences, not God's. Their likes and dislikes are not God's. As one commentator puts it, what John has in mind here is the cleansing of the conscience from guilt and moral defilement, 
which is so insisted on in the epistle to the Hebrews, and which takes a leading place among the saving benefits of the redemptive self-sacrifice of Christ. You see, in Hebrews, the conscience has to do with remembering past sins, mental torment and anguish many of us feel for the wrongs committed in the past. Do you have any dark things that you remember from your past? Like stuff only God knows. Nobody else knows about them. And it haunts you. Terrifies you. You can't even believe that's in your past. Truth is, God is there to cleanse us. To cleanse even those things that haunt us. That bother us tremendously in our past. Oh, how many regrets we have of people we've lost, right? People we've known. People we wish we had one more opportunity to say something to. We all have that nagging feeling behind the scenes that others don't even understand. And it's different for all of us, isn't it? What bothers you in your past may not bother me. There are regrets of things you didn't do and there are regrets of things you did do, right? You then come here to the, in this text to those who outright deny they've sinned. We have not sinned. Now, how is this committed today? Well, we talked a little bit about this before. Some blame their sin on something else, right? It's not them. It's always someone else. It's always something else. It can't be them. Some redefine what they think sin is to a moral code that they prefer, right? And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people shift in their moral views in the church today. Because they know somebody that struggles with a certain sin, so they believe God should give them a pass, so they give them a pass. I have a family member that struggles with this sin. I don't really want to call them out on it anymore because I don't really feel right in doing that, so I'm just going to go ahead and be passive about that. Redefining what God says. Essentially saying that sin is no longer sin in their life. And by default, sin is no longer sin before God. There is a condemnation that follows here. And I need you to understand the gravity that John has here when he makes this statement. If, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, We make him a liar. God lied when he said this is sin. I can't agree with him. It's very heartbreaking to see how many so-called Christians and Christians claim certain things are not sin that God clearly says are. They're making God a liar. You didn't really mean that. It goes right back to the book of Genesis. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that this sin that's so prevalent in our churches today is to be okay? Did God really mean for us to put up a flag to promote this sin? 
can't have meant that that was sin. God is love. And the shocking part that's stated here at the end, his word is not in us. Every believer that redefines sin typically is outside of this. Every believer that redefines what God clearly says in his word is not abiding in his word. They've made up their own definitions to please people in their lives. And what's even more disheartening is one day when they stand before God and God calls them to account the terror that will befall them for having misrepresented what he said. God, I thought, I thought this was not a sin. I gave you clear instructions. You didn't listen. God's word, which clearly speaks of God's holiness in our sin, his light in our darkness. The whole reason we needed the gospel is because we were in darkness. And we needed the light to shine in our hearts. We didn't see sin for what it was. Oh, we saw some consequences that may have bothered us of poor choices we've made, but we didn't see sin for what it really was. So many Christians assume confession is no longer necessary since Jesus already paid for my sins. What they're missing is the importance of fellowship broken that must be restored. You can still be God's child, but not have a relationship with him. Not walk with him. It is not that God is no longer our father, it's that we've hurt our relationship with him and should long and desire to come back to him and ask for forgiveness for breaking his heart. So in conclusion, is your fellowship broken? God does care about our relationship with him. He also cares that you'd be sure to see him as he is and stop redefining the terms. We don't get to call God what we want. We don't get to call his standards what we want. We have to see him for who he is and define things as he sees them. So many of us fall into traps of deception when we walk in darkness and think we're walking in the light. It's time to come back and confess our sins. And if you don't believe that there's a serious disconnect between you and God, realize that sometimes your perception may not be reality. There are many a times you and I think we are close to God and we're not. And there are times where we think that God is far away, but he's nearer than he's ever been. Our perception is not always reality. Stop letting sin destroy your fellowship with God and with the people of God. Personal sin always plays a role in corporate blessing or cursing. You can uh, ask Aiken about that. What could God do with a church that goes, you know what? Here's where we've sinned against God as a congregation, and I have personally sinned, and I'm going to repent in this area, and I'm going to confess. This is me.
This is where I've wronged God. Could there be a restoration like we've ever, never seen in this church if we took these things to heart? What if we said, I'm done with this sin. God, please forgive me. Confess. Believer, before we go to the Lord's Supper, confess. We sought help in fighting against sin by joining with other saints in the process of discipleship. You and I are not meant to fight this alone. God put us in the context of a local church to strengthen one another spiritually, to build one another. Else the church would not be necessary. What could God do in a church that says, we've sinned, and started confessing and opening up to one another what sin God has convicted them of in their own personal lives. I know it sounds scary, right? To openly admit where you've sinned. It sounds too vulnerable. But there's a restoration that can happen in a church that takes seriously what God says to take seriously. And doesn't brush past reality doesn't redefine the terms. says, you know what, God, we've, we've been hurting in our marriage, and Father, we want help. You know, Father, we've not been parenting as we should. We ask for your forgiveness. You know, Father, I haven't led in the way that I should. Please forgive me. Confess. And each one of us has different things that God wants us to confess. But the statement in 1 John 1.9 is still true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believer, in James 5.16 and verses 19 through 20, it says this, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then dropping down to verse 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins many believers are on a track to death early because they're letting sin take a hold of their life sometimes God will convict us by means of how he's already dealt with others let's learn from that Believer, don't be too proud to learn from someone else and their struggles with sin. I never understood anybody that talked about anxiety because it never really affected me the same way. And then it really hit. And I go, okay, Lord, I think I get it now. I think I get it. If we see someone not walking in the light and wandering from the truth, Let's encourage them to come back and restore their fellowship with God. The goal should always be to restore and not to condemn. 